Amen. Our God is faithful forever. Go ahead and have a seat. Father God, we come before you this morning just in awe of who you are, in awe of what you've done, in awe of the fact that we can come before you and worship you in spirit and in truth, singing praises to your glorious name. We're grateful, Lord, for everybody here, and we pray that you would um, touch the hearts and the minds and the souls of every individual here this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but over the last few weeks, I've been scrolling through Facebook, social media, and one of the things I've seen over and over and over again and time and time again is this, back-to-school pictures. Back-to-school pictures. Even Corey and I took one. All of all these parents, including myself, are taking these pictures of our, our children, our teens, and they're beginning their first day of school, of the new school year, and it's exciting. And then at the end of the school year, I don't know about you guys, but what we usually do is we take a, 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 a picture at the end of the school year and compare the two. This is where they were, and this is who they are now, how much our babies have changed. And we've all seen it, I'm sure. Those of us who have kids in the digital age have probably done it. And I'm not here to shame anybody. Like I said, Corey and I do this. But why do we do it? Why do we take pictures of our kids on the first day of school? Now, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that our motivation in it is that we know that this snapshot in time is, is never going to be back. This is going to be the last time our kids are this age. They won't stay small forever. They're constantly changing. It seems like just yesterday we were bringing the kids home from the hospital, and now they are going to school. Everyone changes, and everything changes. Not just in our kids, but also we ourselves are changed. We change all the time. We have grown in the things that we like to do and the things that we don't like to do. The things that we thought were fun as teenagers now annoy us when other teenagers do them. The jokes that we used to think were funny are no longer funny to us. Our relationships have altered and have shifted. Things change. But not just personal change in us. The world around, around us has changed drastically as well, especially in the last 20 years or so. In fact, several weeks ago, we were talking in Sunday school, we were talking about how quickly things have changed in the world. And we've all felt the reality of this change. Do you realize that Facebook first launched in 2006? And it launched initially as a dating service. And now it's become one of the biggest tools for reconnecting to lost friends. And the first iPhone was released just 16 years ago in 2007. A device that was created to help us stay connected is now a tool that has be, be, that keeps us trapped in our own little world. Then also, some of us remember this, prior to 2001, you could get on a plane without having to go through a security check. But now we have to go to the airport almost three hours before our flight gets there, or before our flight leaves to make sure that we can get checked out by TSA and the TSA agents. The Democrats and the Republicans used to dislike and disagree with each other, but now they make each other the villain. How much has the world changed in just those 20 years? Just since the iPhone was released or how much social media has impacted us and the world around us. That's just the last 20 years. We have some uh, seasoned individuals in our congregation. They would tell you that the world has changed a lot since they were kids. In the world, everything changes. Change is everywhere, in all places, at all times. And change has been observed since forever. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who lived about 600 years before Jesus said this, he said, everything changes and nothing remains the same. 
Oh, and he also said you cannot step in the same river twice. It doesn't take much for us to see the reality of the change of the world around us. You've changed. I've changed. Your families have changed. Your friends have changed. This church makeup has changed. These may have been changes for the better, and they may have been changes for the worse, but regardless, change is a-coming, and change is here. However, not everything changes. There's always one constant. There's always one who doesn't change. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The attribute of God that we're going to look at this morning is called the immutability of God. That is the fact that he does not change. Immutable is the negative form of the word mutable, and mutable means subject to change. So if God is immutable, it means that he isn't subject to change. Humanity, people, are mutable. God is not. This teaching of God's immutability is found all over the scriptures. It is revealed in the very name of God himself, Yahweh. I am who I am. Theologian uh, A.W. Tozer puts it this way, all that God is, he has always been. And all that God has been is all he ever will be. Nothing that God has ever said about himself will be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and apostles have said about him will be rescinded. His immutability guarantees this. So this morning, I know it's a big word, immutable. Just know that immutable means unchanging. But before we go further into talking about our unchanging God, let's pray one more time. Father God, we are grateful for the fact that you don't change. We are grateful that in a world of constant change, that you are the rock. You are the firm foundation. You are the anchor, the steady one who is not changed by the things of this world, Lord, but you are the unchanging God who holds everything in existence. And that when our world is chaotic, we can run to you knowing that you haven't changed. When our world is problematic, we can run to you knowing that you will never change. The unchanging characteristic that you hold alone is beautiful. And we're thankful for that. Pray this morning, Lord, that that you would open our eyes to the beauty of your immutability. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways that God is described in the scriptures to help convey this idea of his immutability is God is often called a rock. When the scriptures call God a rock, they don't think of a, a pebble. That's not what they have in mind. What they think about is like a boulder or a mountain, an enormous mountain of strength. This is what uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. He says this, For I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. So God is the rock, not the wrestler, the rock. Why would they use this imagery of a rock? Because a mountain or a boulder shows something that is not affected by the changes of the world. A mountain stood there long before you existed and it will stand there long after you're gone. It is strong and it is not impacted by the world around it. The trees, the animals, the seasons may change, but the mountain is still the mountain. It doesn't shift. It doesn't move. It is constant, a fixed constant in the changing world. No matter what is happening in the world around us, our God never changes no matter how we feel or what we face our God never changes 
there's a pretty popular Christian song out on the radio within the last few years that talks about this concept. It's sung by a group called Sanctus Real. And uh, the lyrics go this, of course, goes this way. When did he break his promise? When did his kindness fail? Never has, never will. Our God is still the same. When did he lose his power? When did his mercy change? Never has, never will. Our God is still the same. Our God is still the same. That is a truth that we need to hold to constantly in consistency in the world that we live in. This is how Paul put it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. His faithfulness demonstrates his unchanging nature. Now, as, as people, we tend to be super emotional creatures. We tend to let what happens around us dictate how we feel, and at times what we even think about God. But we must not let our emotions dictate what is true about God. We must know that the truth is still the truth, whether we feel it's the truth or not. God's immutability must be the truth that we hold to and that we cling to as followers of Jesus. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how things look in the world around us, we need to know that God never changes. Regardless of the ups and downs of life, our God is still the same. He is our rock. He is where our hope is found. And he never changes or shifts with the winds of culture. He never gets tossed by the winds of change, the waves of change. We can hope in him and his promises because he never changes. This truth isn't just found in Moses' writing. King David said the same thing in Second Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. You saved me from violence. And then in Psalm 18, verse 2, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock where I seek refuge. He's just repeating himself. Um, when you say something good, you like to repeat yourself a lot. My shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Or in Psalm chapter 62, verse 2, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Psalm 62, verses 6 and 7, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says this, Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Do you see this beauty that, that the psalmist and the prophets want us to reflect on? repeating themselves over and over again that God is our rock. He is our salvation, that he is the one that we depend on. And we can only depend on him because he is truthful, because he is unchangeable. God's stability and immutability are vitally important if we are going to trust in him fully, if we are going to trust him completely. Let me ask you this. How difficult is it to trust someone who has lied to you, who has withheld the truth from you? who has proven themselves untrustworthy, when they say one thing and they mean something completely different. This isn't someone that you want to tr put your trust in, who you can put your trust in. And I'm sure each one of us has been lied to, has been cheated, has been stolen from, where we cannot trust somebody. There's some, been somebody in your life who has talked out of both sides of their mouth. 
assuring you of one thing. Meanwhile, they are deceiving you. We can't trust them. However, God isn't like this. This isn't the God we serve. If he says something, he doesn't change what he said. If he made a promise, he follows through with that promise. Listen to what he says in, in Isaiah 46.10. I declare the end from the beginning. From long ago, what is, what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. You see here, God says he's going to do his will. That he has already declared the beginning from the end. He sees, knows, and accomplishes all that he has set out to do because he alone is unchanging. He alone is God. He alone is trustworthy. We see this ultimately in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The fact that God promised a Savior way back in Genesis and we see him follow through in the life of Jesus. We see that God does what he says he's going to do. And why is that? Why can we trust that? Because he doesn't change. He won't change, and he can't change. Now, there has been some pushback over the last 40 years or so about God changing. There's been a new, newer movement that's been popping up in, in circles of Christianity, and this movement is called open theism. I don't know if any of you have heard of it before, but it is out there. And open theism basically means that God adapts or changes what he is going to do based on human actions. According to these open theists, God doesn't have foreknowledge about what is going to happen. He makes accommodations and choices based on what humanity is doing. And to some of you, you may go, okay, well, that makes kind of sense. And for others of you in here, you're like, that sounds ridiculous. Now, I don't want to create a straw man argument against open theists. They do have what may appear to be some scriptural evidence for their claims that God makes changes and adapts to human actions. What I want to do for a couple of minutes is take time and examine some of the passages that they use to try to prove that God does change or at least adapts to humanity. And maybe you alone have read some of these passages and been like, what is going on here? Have questions about them. So we're going to look at them and I'm going to try to help answer some of those questions. So the first, que the first we're going to look at occurs in Genesis chapter six, verses five and seven, five through seven. It says this, and the Lord saw the human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was on nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. The first question that pops in your mind might be this. Why does God regret what he had done? How did he regret what man had done? How can he regret something that he knew was going to happen? Maybe he did change his mind. Maybe he didn't know how humanity was going to end up, and he decided in the moment of regret that he was going to kill everyone except for Noah and start over. So what's going on here? How do we reconcile God's immutability with this passage? That if God never changes, how could he have regret on something? God often and graciously reveals himself to us in ways that we can understand the world around us and who he is. Remember, God is so completely other than us that we cannot completely relate to him, even know or even know everything that he knows. John Calvin said about God this. He said, God lisps with us as nurses 
to our want to do with children. Basically, what he's saying is God speaks to us in a way that we can understand. Because if he spoke to us in a way we couldn't understand, well, guess what? We couldn't understand it. So what may look at, like to us that God is changing his mind is truly God accommodating to our understanding of him. Often the scriptures uh, use what of God. God speaks of himself and the authors of scripture use what is called an anthropapatism. That's another big word. That anthropapatism basically just means that God describes his actions using human emotions. Just because God is described as regretting doesn't mean that God actually regretted, but it is a way for us to understand the reasoning of God for doing what he did. Right? So God didn't change. He was just communicating to us his, his, um, the, the depth of sin in humanity. Another example happens in, happens in Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites have created and began to worship a golden calf while Moses is on the mountain with God. And then God tells Moses this. He says, I'm going to destroy the people. See what he says in verse 9 of chapter 32 in Exodus. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation, talking to Moses. However, Moses sits there and he petitions God and he tells him, God, remember your promises. And we go on to read in verse 14, so the Lord relented concerning the disaster that he said he would bring on his people. So did God need to be reminded by Moses of the promises that he made? Was God going to forsake his promises because of Israel's rebellion? No, God was going to do what he eternally purposed to do. God is not changing in the situations. Rather, he is revealing his true character towards humanity. That sin, rebellion, and disobedience grieves the heart of God. And that as sinful, rebellious, and disobedient creatures, guess what? We all deserve death. The Israelites deserve death. And this picture of Moses petitioning God is also a picture of the Messiah to come. But we can talk about that later. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in 623 of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. That is what you have earned because of your sinfulness is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God didn't change his mind. He revealed his love. He revealed his mercy. He revealed his grace and patience to man. In his relenting from destroying Israel, he revealed even more of who he is and the plan and the purpose that he had from the beginning. God doesn't change his nature based upon what we as his creation do. If he did, then that would mean that he's dependent on mankind. He's sitting back and waiting for us to act. He's waiting for us to make decisions. He's waiting for us to move so that he can respond. But as we looked at last week, God doesn't depend on anyone or anything to do anyone or anything. He is completely independent. So we can trust him to be who he has always been. And one of the problems with these open theists, those that say God changes and adapts depending on the actions of humanity, is whether they want to or not, they, de they determine that God is inconsistent with who he and how he has revealed himself to be in his scriptures, in his actions. To be an open theist, you means you have to call God inconsistent. In fact, some of the strongest proponents of this open theistic claim claim that in an ancient heresy as truth 
They believe that the God of the Old Testament is evil, that he is wicked, and that it isn't until God dwells with us in Jesus that God becomes more loving, merciful, compassionate, and gracious. And this has been rejected by the church as a whole for the last 2,000 years, but some people are reigniting this understanding of God. God in the Old Testament, bad. Jesus in the New Testament, good. We're going to follow Jesus in the New Testament and divorce ourselves from the Old Testament. Do we see the dangers in this? If the God of the Old Testament is different than the God in the New Testament, then how can we trust him? How can we trust him if he's different? How can we believe in him? What happens if humanity stops pleasing God? What happens if God decides that he is going to treat us differently because of our thoughts and our actions? What if Jesus gets fed up with us? This also leads to something that is happening in our churches and pulpits and Bible studies and small groups all over the country. How people have read and understood God's word forever is now subject to change. If God is mutable, meaning that God can change, if God can change based on human actions, then we can't trust what he has said in his word, which means that the scriptures aren't everlasting, which also means that they can be manipulated and changed to conform to our understanding of what they should say and not what they actually say. This would also mean that the scriptures aren't everlasting. So when God says, I hate sin, whether it be sexual immorality, lying, adultery, changing God's word, idolatry, or whatever, people now say, maybe not. Maybe God didn't mean what he said. It's now up for debate. Did he really mean that this is a sin? Did he really mean for all people at all times this is wrong? Or did he only mean it until we get a little bit more enlightened? Until we get to decide what it means. So now there are people all over the world who believe in a God made in their own image based on their own personal enlightenment. God doesn't mean what he says. He can't. I want to interpret and sanitize what God has revealed to us because it makes me feel better. That's the trap that we've fallen into. This view of God, this view of his word, fits in his face. To think that we need to change what God has said because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or because it steps on our toes is absolutely shameful. To think that we need to adapt God to the world around us is blasphemy. The God that needs our help to be more palatable is unworthy of any worship. That's not the God that reveals himself in scripture. Our God is unchanging. And if he is unchanging, and if he is the rock, then what he says is what he meant. And it cannot be changed because it doesn't fit into what we want from him. In his providence and in his wisdom, God even revealed to us that he knew something like this would happen. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says this, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. Why would God need to include something like that? Because he knew, as humanity, we would want to take and shift and change what he has said. Even Jesus said, so if you're like, oh, well, I don't know about the God of the Old Testament. I don't know about the God in Isaiah well, this is what Jesus says for in Matthew chapter five eighteen. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus says it's not going to change. What he has said, he has meant. And what he means or what he has meant, he continues to mean.
The sin he hated is still the sin he hates. God doesn't change. Not on a whim. Not based on humanity's progress. For no reason will God ever change. He doesn't need to. Instead, we need to change. We need to conform to his image. We need to grasp onto what he has says, has said. This is why it's so crazy to me that people are trying to change and to manipulate God's word to say what they wanted to say. Now, here's the thing. We don't have to like it. We don't even have to agree with it. We can live our lives doing whatever we want, believing God to be whoever we want him to be. But no matter who you are or what you think God is, it isn't going to change who he actually is. He is never going to change just because you want him to. He's going to continue to be who he is for all eternity. And there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can think. There's nothing that we can say. There's nothing that we can manipulate that is going to change that about him. And because he doesn't change, we can either submit to him in worship and we can follow after Jesus or we will spend eternity separated from him. Changing what God has revealed about himself doesn't fix the problem of sin. It doesn't fix the reality that we are going to stand in judgment. It may make us feel better to manipulate his word. It may make us feel justified to change what he has said, but our feelings don't dictate the truth. Only he does. He is the only one who is unchanging. He is the only one who is steadfast. He is the only one who will stand the test of time. So we need to trust him for who he is and not who we want him to be. Now, the immutability of God can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Remember, as I said earlier, we are ever-changing. However, the immutability of God is the most beautiful when it stands in stark contrast to the mutability of man. The fact that God doesn't change is an amazing truth and an amazing comfort. I want you to hear what God says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? We talked about this last week in depth, but God is completely different from us. He isn't just a little bit better version of ourself. He isn't, he's a distinct, perfect and holy being. And when we contrast that with the frailty of humanity, the fact that we change all the time, we can stand back and marvel at his faithfulness to us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change. I was talking with Corey this week about this sermon. She goes, all you have to do is get up there and just say, God doesn't change and just kind of walk off. I was like, no, I got to fill like 45 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but when it comes to the immutability of God, it's, a, it's important for us to understand because he's not a man that he should change. He doesn't need to change because he's perfect. But just a couple weeks ago, I was at a men's gathering and the topic about whether God changes or not came up. And because I was studying for the sermon, I had a pretty good answer, if I do say so myself. Now, this isn't original to me, but it is profound in what it demonstrates. This is what this theologian said. He says, now for God to alter or change at all, 
to be different from itself, one of three things needs to take place. God must go from better to worse, which is impossible because he is eternally holy, eternally perfect, or he must go from worse to better, which means he was never holy and perfect to begin with, or he must change from being one kind of thing to another, which means that he's not self-existent, which means he's dependent on something else. So he must go from better to worse, worse to better, or change from, from who he is to something completely different. If God isn't immutable, but God is perfect and unchanging in every way. We don't want a God who has to get better. We don't want a God who needs to get worse. We don't need a God who's going to change into something different. We need the God who sustains the universe, who is eternally perfect, eternally holy, always making the right decisions, never changing. I'm unstable enough. I need a stable one to worship. When it comes to his immutability, here's something that until last week I hadn't really given a lot of thought to. I mean, I had heard it and I thought about it, but I never really, really spent time thinking about it. When we pray, we are praying to the same God who spoke the world into existence. The same God who created all living beings by the word of his voice. The same God who formed and fashioned man in his own image into the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. We are praying to the same God that revealed his plan to Abraham. We are praying to the same God that saved Israel from the hands of Pharaoh. We are praying to the same God who made the walls of Jericho fall down. The same God that came down to dwell with us 2,000 plus years ago. The same God who laid down his life for our sins. The same God who rose Jesus from the dead. The same God who is sitting enthroned in heaven and watching over you and me who is in control of the universe and the world around us. The same God that your parents and grandparents prayed to the same God who has been preached about for 2000 years, the same God who is worshiped in the church down the street, the same God that made a promise of redemption, made the promise of salvation, the same God that kept those promises, the same God who in the midst of your pain and suffering comforts you, the same God who promises to recreate heaven and earth, the same God who promised to make all things new. The same God who is forever faithful despite our faithlessness. Think about that. It's easy to disconnect ourselves from the historical understanding of who God is. But if we see that from the beginning of time, God has been weaving his plan of redemption together, that he has been saving lost sinners. We see his unchanging nature. We see the beauty in his sovereign plan then we can worship him even more deeply and more rightly. Because who he is, he will always be. Our God is still the same. He hasn't changed. And he won't change. And when we're gone from this earth, he will still be worshipped. And after our children and grandchildren are gone, he will still be worshipped. What a peace and a comfort we have in knowing that God never changes. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever that his plan was always to save sinners, that his goal is always his glory, that he is faithful and true, that he doesn't shift or change, but he continues to do what he already began to do. And that is why he is worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. And his immutability stands in stark contrast to our ever-changing nature. 
And we should praise God that we can change. You can go from worse to better. You can go from sinner to saint. You can go from condemned to redeemed. You can go from dead in your sins and trespasses to alive in Christ. You can be transformed by the mercy, grace, and compassion, love of God. But you can't get there alone. You need help from the unchanging God. And here's an even more amazing truth. If God changes you, he promises you that he won't leave you. He promises you that he's going to continue the work that he started in you. That's what he says, in, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God continues the work in you. He started the work and he's going to finish it. In your fickleness, in your disobedience, in your horrible circumstance, if God saved you, he's going to continue to work in you. Not because of who you are or what you've done. Not based on your own good works. Not based on anything except the salvation that he has bestowed upon you. That he has granted you because of Jesus. So here's a question for you. Have you been changed by the unchanging God? Have you submitted your life to Jesus and are you following him? Remember, God loves saving sinners. He loves changing hearts. Today, you can go from condemned in your sin sin to saved by Jesus. You can be changed and transformed and made new by repenting of your sins and turning towards Jesus. Now, if you are a believer and you've already placed your faith in Jesus, continue to know that what he said is what he meant. And we can continue to trust him. We can continue to put our hope, not in the things of this world, but in the God who created it. I want to close with this one quote. And I pray that it encourages you. God never changes his moods or cools off in his affections or loses enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove the sinful man from the eastward garden. And his attitude toward the sinner is the same as when he stretched forth his hands and cried, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is going to judge sin. And it can either be judged and condemned and felt under the wrath of Jesus and you can give your life to him and you can find freedom in him today or you can endure the wrath yourself. But trust in Jesus. Come and find your rest in him today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the fact that you never change, that you stay the same, that your love, your faithfulness, your compassion, your grace, your mercy towards us is astounding. For we fail you daily, but you continue to love us despite our failings because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I pray, Lord, as we sing this last song, we will remember that this one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up, never runs out on us. That your love is ever, is never ending. It's never failing. We're thankful for who you are. We're grateful for what you've done. And we praise you at this time.